Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Hey everybody and welcome to episode 261 of the Long Box of Doom podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey and I'm joined tonight by Mr. Russell Latham and Mr. Jim Dietz. How's everybody doing? Fantastic. Fantastic, of course. How else would we be doing tonight since we're talking about the Fantastic Four? <laughs> yes, we're, we're back into Fantastic Four Teen with part three slash four of our Fantastic Four coverage. Part three of our uh, Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four slash FF run coverage where we will be reading issues of Fantastic Four 581 through 588, the quote-unquote final issue of Fantastic Four. Uh, Rich cannot join us tonight because he is on assignment at Dallas Comic-Con. We can't wait to hear all about that. I, but I want to hear all about his meal with Michael Rooker. That's got to be uh, there's got to be a story <laughs> there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah, certainly. So, who remembers where we left off? As I seem to recall, um, in issue five eighty seven, uh, Ben Grimm, the Thing, was given a cure that would make him human again, approximately one week out of every year. Um, arcade attacked. There was a lot of fun there. Uh, future Franklin came back from the future and did something with his younger self and gave his younger sister a warning about the future. And uh, what other important things should I mention? There's a lot of stuff there. You're going to want to listen to the first two episodes of this run before before you got jumping into this one. Uh, Sue Storm became ambassador of the Earth to the New Atlanteans. Uh, they found the, evo- the high evolutionary city of evolution that had been evolving the Moloids. There's a dead Galactus in the middle of the planet. Jordan's right. Uh, Annihilus is stuck in the negative zone and really wants to get back to Earth. Jordan's right. There's a lot going on here. You might want to pick up <laughs> the last couple yeah. episodes, you know. Remember when we said this is going to be important? Well, a lot of it becomes important tonight. Yes. Not all of it. That'll come later, but a lot tonight. So we start with issue 581 with a pretty cool cover, and the quote on the top says, All hope lies in doom. A line we had been told earlier in the series. I don't recall exactly which issue, but I know we called it out. Yeah, it was when uh, Franklin talking to Valeria explained to her what she has to do in the future in the most vague way possible. And speaking of Franklin in the future, we begin the issue with a uh, caption box that says falling up through time, and we see Franklin Richards, uh, Mr. Franklin specifically, the future version of him, um, surrounded by some panels of things that haven't happened yet, but will happen during this run. We have Valeria saying, so do we have a deal? We have Johnny saying, you don't wish it any more than I do. And we have Victor Von Doom himself looking at the camera and saying, here I can build. And we don't get to that part tonight, but I can't wait till we do, because that's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. We do get some great Doom moments tonight, though, for sure. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> so uh, he keeps falling back up through time and lands in a white, kind of empty space where he joins his sister, future Valeria. Um, I guess we could call her Miss, Val- Miss Valeria. We don't really have a specific name for her as we do with Mr. Franklin. Sexy Valeria. But they converse. 
As weird as yeah, that Yeah, I, I'll agree with that one. <laughs> I don't yes. even want to think about that. <laughs> um, and uh, they converse about his trip back in time, um, and he confirms that he, that he did exactly what her plan was, because it was her plan all along. And then they're confronted by a shadowy figure that is uh, just out of frame, until we turn the page and see... It is Nathaniel Richards, father of Reed Richards, grandfather of Franklin and Valeria, and a time traveler who's pretty awesome. <laughs> Just ask And how, who has the craziest Kirby-esque suit ever. Yeah. Thor's garage sale, I think he picked that up. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of Kirby homage in this, in this run. Oh, yeah. Even a literal Kirby homage, as we'll get to later, but... I mean, he's surrounded by Kirby dots when he makes his appearance here with the speed lines yeah. in the background. Yes. So they, they uh, again go over their plan. Apparently the three of them working together. They're working simultaneously to fix the past and the future. And they're in this kind of white space that is referred to several different times. But basically, and this is a little complicated. I'm not sure I even fully understand it. But at some point there is a future war. They're in this kind of destabilized space between spaces in the multiverse. And Franklin's power is the only thing keeping the crushing weight of everything from coming in. And it's kind of an anchor point for them to jump forward and backward in time as they work to change the future and save the future. Well, there's also the the way they put it is like the next oncoming reality is like a wave. And they're trying yeah, to so keep existence... Wave. They're trying to keep existence existing long enough for that next reality to hit like a wave and, and you know, kickstart the new universe. A little, uh, I took this as a little bit of an homage, maybe in, intentionally or unintentionally, to DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths from the, you know, from 85, 86, you know, where all this stuff is going on, the future, you know, everything's kind of collapsing down to one reality or one Earth. Um, you know, Franklin kind of creating this pocket reality, which is funny because he's he's done that before. With the whole Heroes Reborn, Heroes Return thing, you know, he threw them into like a pocket reality. Uh, but but it's kind of funny at the you know at the end of Crisis, Alexander Luthor created that pocket universe, you know, thing for them to go into, and it was uh, Superboy, the Earth Two Superman, the Earth Two Lois Lane, and uh, Alexander Luthor all kind of just hung out there for ever and ever. It was funny, um, yeah, Superboy Prime or whatever kind of spun out of that, more like the emo Superboy. Uh, but um, it's funny that the smartest guy in the DC universe, his kid, would be the nexus of realities, and the smartest guy in the Marvel universe, his kid. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, towards the end of the scene, Valeria sends herself, or is sent back in time, to uh, continue the mission along, and uh, Franklin starts toying around in this pocket universe and uh, creating some life, as well as uh, Nathaniel Richards, who also goes on uh, his next portion of the mission. And where is that portion of the mission? Well, it's going to be State University years ago, where uh, Ben, uh, Reed, and Victor Von Doom are all students. Um, we start off with a scene in a uh, moral ethics class, where Reed and Victor Von Doom are disagreeing quite heavily on ethics. Surprise, surprise. I just like, uh, it just paints, you know, the young Doom and the young Richards uh, very well. I mean... You know, Richards is very egalitarian and saying, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's what I'd expect to hear from an aristocrat, you know, and he's like, do you think you're better than everyone? And Doom, you know, we get that nice little close-up panel where he says, in here, absolutely. And that is just Hickman really nailing the core of Dr. Doom. You know what I mean? It's all about his confidence and arrogance. And speaking of Hickman, we should also reiterate, this is, of course, all, everything we read tonight will be uh, written by Jonathan Hickman, and at least these first few issues are illustrated by Neil Edwards. 
And uh, as we, we flip the page, we then catch up with Ben, uh, who who's trying to get uh, Reed out of the lab for a night for the weekend and go out and have some fun. It's, it's, it's very funny to me how much this reminds me of the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie with them in college. Yes. I mean, which makes sense because there's scenes there, but even the way they look kind of reminds me yes, of that. Yes, yes, yes. I thought the same thing. So they get back to one of their uh, apartments or, or dorm rooms when all of a sudden Kirby Dot's incoming and Nathaniel Richards pops from the future in the scene we just saw into their room. And this is the first time Reed has seen his father uh, since his father went away on a mission for S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, back in the early 60s. Um, it's kind of complicated, but we should mention that while uh, Jonathan Hickman is writing this, he's also writing two other series which tie in it, to some extent or another. Secret Warriors, which is absolutely fantastic, which will tie in uh, towards the end of this run more than anything else. And then S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a series that is still technically not done. There's two issues that apparently are coming out this year. Uh, the first uh, 11 of the 13 issues are absolutely fantastic. But in that, we will see what's going to be reiterated here, which is that Nathaniel Richards, working for S.H.I.E.L.D., went on this mission, left Reed as a small child, and this is the first time that Reed has seen him since then. I love through this sequence that everybody just takes everything on face value. You know, Reed hasn't seen his dad in all these years, and he comes in with this crazy suit, just materializes out of nowhere, talking about time travel and alternate realities and end of the universe and all this crazy stuff. And everyone's like, okay, yeah, sure, let's, let's, uh, let's do it. Even, even when they get to Doom, you know, Doom is all in on this thing. It's just, it's just really kind of funny how, uh, Nobody questions anything. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure if that was the next thing you were going to say or not. Yes, they, they pretty much do. And what he tells them, um, which they take at face value, is pretty incredible. And this ties directly into S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, but the, the basic version, like I said, is he had to go on this mission for S.H.I.E.L.D. What was that mission? Well, he was fighting this man, and we see an illustration of it, which is very cool. Not as cool as the version in S.H.I.E.L.D., though, because that is one of the coolest uh, images in a comic book I've ever seen. But uh, Reed and... Or not Reed. Uh, Nathaniel and... Uh, Howard Stark, Tony Stark's father, were both S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. They were partners. They were fighting this guy who uh, was actually ended up being Nikola Tesla, uh, the night machine. Um, but they were fighting him. He was pow- He's a ro- in a robot suit type thing. He's powered by a quantum uh, power source. And when Reed stabs him with this, or no, I keep saying Reed, when Nathaniel stabs him with this spear, um, it kills him almost. He, he doesn't actually die, but it releases the power and it calls every version from the entire multiverse of Nathaniel Richards into the Marvel 616, but several hundred years in the future. So we see kind of this split of a bunch of versions of Reed, uh, of Nathaniel, similar to how we see a whole bunch of versions of Reed in the Council of Reeds. And they end up in the future where uh, Immortus, who, who uh, long-time Marvel readers will know... 600,000 years in the future. Oh, 600,000, yeah, sorry. Um, is basically in control of that realm of time-space as kind of a time cop. And this whole idea of a whole bunch of time-traveling... Uh, Nathaniel Richards, who can control time, um, all being on the same plane at the same time is a really, really bad thing. So he decides one of them can survive, and it's up to them to fight to the death, uh, Hunger Games style, uh, to decide who will be the last remaining Nathaniel Richards. There can be only one. (laughs) And uh, we find that Nathaniel Richards of the 616, our Reed's father, um, he stayed away from the fighting. He wanted nothing to do with it. He hopped around time and stayed away. But at this point now, there is exactly one other Nathaniel Richards left in the universe, and he needs his son and his son's best friend to help him take that other Nathaniel Richards down. Now, I think I've mentioned this before, and Jim, you may recall this 
from the late 80s, especially if you read The Avengers and even, I think, uh, Handbook of the Marvel Universe, wasn't it heavily implied for a long time that Nathaniel Richards was Immortus slash Kang slash Ramatut? It was. Yeah. It was indeed. In fact, I think I think in Avengers Forever, uh, Kurt Busiek uh, kind of cleans that up, uh, that bit of continuity up, because it is... Um, I'm pretty sure in early continuity, Ramatut was um, Nathaniel Richards, like somehow brainwashed or something. But yeah, you're right. In the 80s, I think I'm pretty sure that was part of continuity. I could probably look it up in my hot, a hot move from then. Yeah. I, I did some research into this because I was also very confused by, wait, is he having himself kill himself? And I think what I, if I, this is a while ago, I looked this up, but I, I think I remember correctly, it is Nathaniel Richards. However, it's not this Nathaniel Richards. It's a descendant of Reed who's also named Nathaniel. If if I remember uh, correctly, that's what the current status quo on. No, it I think is. you're right. Yes, um, which, which does make it confusing. Yes. But yes, it is not the same Nathaniel Richards or Nathaniel Richards from a different universe. It's simply a relative, a descendant. Gotcha. Yeah, I knew it was something like that. So they, so they decide they're going to need some heavy hardware. So who do they go to? Victor Von Doom, and I love his. Uh, I, I love this uh, little thing here where he, sa- he tells Reed, uh, we kind of come in in the middle of the scene, he says, I'd like to hear you say it again. And Reed says, fine, my time-traveling father needs us to help him fight himself far in the future, and if we're going to be able to help him, we need some of the weapons technology you've been developing. In secret, that I'm not so no- supposed to know about, but do. <laughs> Uh, like you said, just taking it on face value. And, and Doom agrees to help them. Um, he gives Reed a gun. But wait, that's not why he, he says it. He says, no, no, not that, the other. And then Reed says, please. Oh, yeah, yes. He, yeah, that's funny as well. But I just like Reed's original spiel of, fine, I'll tell you the story again. And then he makes um, him say it again. Yeah. Um, he get, Like I said, he gives Reed a, a special gun, and he gives Ben a big suit of armor that's very uh, The Thing-ish. Sort of a proto thing. And uh, he also has his own mask, which allows him to control the minds of others. And they head into the future to go fight the alternate Nathaniel Richards, the last surviving Nathaniel other than the 616 version. Meanwhile, or not technically meanwhile, because we're heading back to the current day, we head to the Baxter building where uh, Sue is making some tea. We get another uh, warning time quake condition red, which we've seen previously in the series. And uh, all of a sudden, Miss Valeria shows up in the kitchen. Sue handily takes her down, but is stopped when uh, it's revealed that Valeria is Valeria, and uh, they stop and they have some tea. Meanwhile, again, not technically meanwhile, but in the future, far, far into the future, uh, our heroes arrive, our heroes and villain, rather, arrive in the future to go fight the alternate Nathaniel Richards, and uh, they are confronted by him at the end of the issue. This is kind of a more white-haired Nathaniel. We've learned that our Nathaniel 616 pretty much doesn't age from what he can tell, um, but this other evil uh, Nathaniel Richards says, and now let the great hunt come to a close, as he kind of floats above them with various power sources around him. Talk about having daddy issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go have to help my dad kill my dad. And in issue 582, we get a kind of uh, brief recap of what this other alternate Reed has been doing. He's been traveling up and down time, uh, killing other Nathaniels. And I keep saying Reed, but this this Nathaniel keeps going around killing other Nathaniels and taking their technology, taking technology from various points in the time stream and uh, just generally being evil. I, I love this one image on the bottom of the first page of him strangling the other Nathaniel. It looks kind of like Zod strangling uh, Cyborg Superman or yeah. something. Yeah, I thought the same thing with the, 
the way the the cape and the eye and the symbol on the chest. The goatees. Yeah. So the battle starts. Uh, evil Nathaniel summons a fiery cricket bat from the ether, and the beatdown starts uh, when he summons in some helpers, and they are the Arachnots, uh, which would be some anachronistic guys. We've got a dwarf kind of futuristic pirate. We have a caveman. We've got a cyborg monkey. We've got a, a lizard in a robot suit. They're kind of a power armor, and we've got a cyborg centurion. Um, are, are these previously existing characters, or is this just kind of a crazy Kirby-esque idea that Kirkman brought to the table? I'd say the latter, because I don't remember ever seeing them before. Yeah, me either. They're kind, they're kind of fun, yeah. though. It's kind of like a weird uh, version of Exiles. Yeah, yeah just sure. like a lot of different variants called from the time screen. I like the attack monkey in the bed, the cyborg attack monkey. That's probably my favorite. <laughs> Maybe a future version of Hitmonkey. We may never know. Uh, the battle goes down. Uh, you know, they trade uh, you know the upper position several times. Um, the dwarf pirate gets his head exploded by Doom. A bunch of people are taken out. And uh, Doom gets in a good punch on, on evil Nathaniel, but he's taken down for a moment. Uh, evil Nathaniel takes down Ben, breaks some ribs, and then Reed shoots him in the hand and takes off his hand. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then Reed is, like, horrified. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're given the chance. It's time for you to kill uh, evil Nathaniel, but our Nathaniel refuses to do it. He's not a killer. He's never killed before. He doesn't want to do it. Um, and Doom says, fine, I'll do it myself. And Nathaniel says, do what it is you do. And Victor Von Doom handily takes down the evil Nathaniel Richards. It's why they brought Doom along. Yep. Yeah. You know I mean, none of them, none of the other ones would have had the, the, you know, the wherewithal to actually kill, you know, Nathaniel Richards. I mean, look how, how stunned Reed was when he burned his hand off, you know, and Ben did, wouldn't have it in him to be a murderer, but Doom, Doom does totally. I want you to remember, Richards, remember what happened here. Remember who saved you. Remember who set you free. Remember Doom. And I love the kind of proto-Doom costume. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the Cap costume from uh, the first Avenger a little bit, with the chin strap and everything. Mm -hmm. and Kind of looks like the Midnighter from The Authority, too. Sure. I know it's it's really cheesy, but I like when Doom speaks in third-person Doom speak. He's like the only villain I'll allow that for. Him and the monarch. <laughs> he gets a pass. <laughs> the mighty monarch! The mighty monarch! Uh, so Nathaniel drops Ben and Reed and Doom back off at the dorms at State University. And then he travels to the future. Uh, Reed kind of asks him, you know, can you please stay? And he says, no, I have to go. It's my job. Um, but I'll see you again soon, uh, Reed says. And uh, Nathaniel says, I, I hope so, Reed. There's always hope. And then he jumps away. And we will see him very soon. Spoilers. Uh, so we then jump back to the present day where uh, Sue and Miss Valeria are sharing tea. And Valeria is giving her mother a dire warning. Um, and this is kind of flashing back and forth between that scene and where we're told is collapsing space time in that kind of white space where Franklin's hanging out. Mr. Franklin, uh, where Nathaniel shows back up. Um, and once he gets the word that his grandfather was successful, he kind of busts a hole in his pocket universe and... Nathaniel is holding on to it for dear life as uh, Franklin tells him he, he has one more mission he needs to go on, whether he likes it or not. Meanwhile, kind of, um, Sue is again having that conversation with Valeria and Valeria is basically telling her, look, we're not 
we we know what's going to happen. We know what's ha- happening in the future. You need to be strong. You need to be ready what com- for what comes. You're not going to be able to change it any more than we help you change it. But things are going to get really, really bad before they get better. Foreshadowing. Plus, she tells her <laughs> that she's the only one that can hold them together. She's the only one that can keep it together. And yeah. Because Sue is the strongest member of that team. Absolutely. Yep. And then at the same time... Mr. Franklin's explaining to Nathaniel what is going on, why he's letting him dangle off the edge of space-time. Yep, he says, uh, basically, we can't let Val... He says, something significant was gained today. Val and I would rather it not be wasted. Um, And while uh, Valeria kind of gives the the short version of what happened, she says, after the last war, which is bolded, so I'm assuming that's something that will come up again in Hickman's Avengers run or something, but uh, when all reality was collapsed into a single time stream and the heat death of, the, of everything is imminent, there's a white space where your son sits waiting for the new future we have created to overtake him. There, post-collapse, he acts as an anchor for the changes he has made, and when I return to him, I will serve that very same function regarding mine. We cement this new future we have created with sacrifice. Mother, Franklin, and I will die doing this. Uh, back to Franklin and Nathaniel. He basically tells him... Well, first, um, Nathaniel pleads with Franklin because if he's saying if he's not, you know, he doesn't jump from a fixed point in time. There's no telling where he can, you know, he'll end up. He'll be lost in time. And then, you know, Franklin looks at him and says, I, I know you'll find your way. Yeah, it's almost like I have reality bending powers that could make that sure to happen. But I love that Franklin tells him it's it's dad. You know, he says, yeah, you know, he says, you know, he says it's what's wrong with him. It's what's wrong with all of them. Don't you understand? Every boy deserves a father, especially mine. Um, it explains because the whole thing with Immortus killed every single other Nathaniel Richards. So our Reed is the only one who has the possibility of having right. a father, and that explains why the Council of Reed Richards are who they are. Right, because every one of them had grown up orphans without their father. Yeah. So by allowing um, our Reed's dad to live, that Reed still has a father, and doesn't become. You know, the, the read, you know, that council. So we then flash back to Val and Sue, and, and Val tells her the day is coming. The coming days are going to be dark, dark and full of loss. It will feel like everything is going to break apart, that it will shatter and everything will end. Only you can hold us together. Can you be strong, Mother? Stronger than you've ever been before? There will be a moment when you're going to want to give up. You're going to want to let go. When you reach that point, look into the sky. Look up and remember the price that was paid. And that doesn't mean a whole lot now, but when that pays off, oh my gosh, it brings tear to, tears to my eyes now just reading that, knowing what she's referring to. And I love the art on this double-page spread. It's mostly just white. It's yeah. like they drew something, and then they erased most yeah. of it. They use negative space really well like to delineate this like you know terminal uh, space-time, as they call it in the, in the comic. Um, the use of white space and negative space in the sky, and then parts of you know the landscape that he's building kind of just falling away into nothingness. It's really, you know, nice looking. So Val is then sucked back into the future where she's reunited with Mr. Franklin, and uh, we find out that despite his best efforts, uh, space time is collapsing even in his pocket universe. And so they make a last minute decision, even though there's almost zero chance of it working out. They're going to jump back in time and, uh, and and try to survive because if they stay there, they're going to die. And they have a nice little conversation where they hold hands and, and he says, follow me. We're going to jump right into it like ducking under a wave. And she says, hey, just so you know, you've always been my hero, my favorite hero. And he says, well, mine's still the human torch. Here we go. Ready? Jump. And they jump into the time stream, which is kind of a callback to that uh, 
flashback scene to read Nathaniel and a, a call forward to something that will happen later in the run. Jumping is very important. It's also a callback to the birthday issue. Where he says that yeah. his, his yeah. favorite hero is the Human Torch because when he took him out for his birthday by the end of the arcade uh, adventure, he said that his favorite hero is the Human Torch. Uh, issue 583 is titled Three, and uh, we have Countdown to Casualty. And, and by this point, we as readers knew uh, one of the members of the Fantastic Four was going to die very soon. And this is where we start counting down to that very famous death issue. Yeah, I mean, we have the cover here by, by Steve Epting. Or, or is it Alan Davis doing this cover? It looks like Alan Davis. Um, with the open grave. <laughs> it says, here lies, and it's blank, devoted member of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, it is Alan yeah, Davis. Yeah, Steve Epting does the interior art, but it's Alan Davis um, yeah, who does the I know the Davis cover. did the covers of these for a yeah. while. So we start in the neutral zone where uh, there's a battle around the... Um, Evolutionaries Forever City of Tomorrow, if I'm remembering the name correctly, where the Fantastic Four are intervening. Um, and it's just kind of a big uh, cluster F as they've expanded the beam of the uh, Evolutionary Ray or the de evolving Ray or whatever it was called. And so everyone's fighting there. Meanwhile, at the Baxter building, Valeria Richards is getting together a backpack full of gear and sneaking around the Baxter building because that's the type of thing she does. Uh, she finds her way to Reed's secret lab with the rebuilt bridge. And she starts listening to his logs about what he found with the Council of Reeds, kind of catching up readers who might have missed that stuff earlier. But of course, we already know all that from previous episodes. Plus, I, I love the her. You know, she she you know she hears the whole story about how you know he did it, and you know he was told to shut down. He built it again. You know the whole thing with the Council of Reeds and her reaction. Oh man, mom's gonna kill you. <laughs> I love the smile there. That's uh, just adorable. Uh, we then head over to Latveria to a scene that the first time I read this was very confusing to me uh, because I was not sure exactly what was going on. I guess this is a reference to some previous runs on the book. But uh, Doom basically abdicates his throne because he has recently undergone some major brain trauma and cannot function as leader. Uh, was this the Miller Hitch run that that happened in? I, Maybe I've read the Miller Hitch run, and I don't recall that happening. But it's it's been a while, so it might have been the McDuffie run. I I know I read it when I went back and read some of the stuff that leads into this. Um, but yeah, so basically, Doom's brain damaged. Uh, it had to do with something with Reed and and Ben, I believe, or I'm not even sure who this other guy is. And that that might be Kristoff in that image with glasses or Doctor Banner, maybe. Um, I'm not entirely sure who that is. I don't know. But the point is, he's going to call Werner in from exile, and uh, or not not Werner, uh, Christoph Vernard uh, from exile, and he will take the throne while Doom works on fixing himself. Now, I do not know a lot about Christoph, uh, whose last name I've already forgotten. Uh, Christoph Vernard, what do you guys know about him? Is he Doom's son, or what's the deal with him? I, I he was the leader that popped up in Latveria when Doom was overthrown. I think it was during the um, the uh, the Stern and uh, Perez days on um, on Fantastic Four or Roy, Roy Thomas and Perez. I'm sorry, on Fantastic Four, Christoph was uh, he used to have like a, a big golden cyborg eye. He was the uh, the ruler of Latveria when Doom was not around. So while he's discussing abdicating the throne, all of a sudden, who should teleport in but Valeria Richards with a "What's up?" and uh, Doom is not particularly thrilled that she's there. Uh, but they have a <laughs> they have a nice little tete a tete um, where she explains, "My dad's done some really bad things. Daddy went and built a very bad machine and forgot to tell anyone." 
Um, and Doom asks her, what did you decide was the proper course of action upon making such a discovery? She says, I asked myself, what would Uncle Doom do with another adorable smile? And we see in flashback what she did. After she found the bridge, she uh, opened it up and went through it, found the Council of Reeds, uh, walks past, past some corpses that have infinity gauntlets on them, the dead uh, reeds, finds the chamber with the um, lobotomized dooms, and then finds the surviving, or I guess she's found by the surviving reeds from the Council of Reeds, um, and they make their escape from the Mad Celestials through the bridge into the Marvel 616. You've got Starfleet Reed, uh, Tony Stark Reed, and Cyclops Supervisor Reed. And, and Professor, uh, Xavier. Professor, yeah. Professor Xavier. Oh, Professor Xavier Reed, too. And I love how they communicate, where you, yeah. you only see, like, exclamation points and question marks. It's it's all Hickman-designed infographics. I believe the Earth that we see, those are the four points on the, uh, the Forever City plus the Baxter building. Um, possibly. I'm not entirely sure. But, like, uh, Saul's Anvil and all that kind of stuff. Stuff that will be important later. I just don't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Yeah. I just as an aside, I really like Epting's art. I mean, I'm a big fan of Epting in general. Um, oh yeah. But the one criticism I have is he. I think he draws Valeria too old. There's times where her face looks like an adult face on a child body. It just I don't know. It just it just comes across as a little weird at times. I get what you're saying, but as we move through this run, Nick Dragata draws her like she's nine, which is weird. I love Nick yeah. Dragata's art, but she's way too tall. Yeah. In his version. So basically, she tells him, uh, or he asks her, why'd you come here, child? She says, all hope lies in doom. Excuse me? I came because my father is going to need your help. And we flash uh, over to her father, who's still fighting in the forever city of the High Evolutionary. Uh, We see that uh, Ben's faceplate gets cracked, so he is not in containment anymore, and he starts devolving again, just like we'd seen previously. Um, but uh, Sue starts a force field. She contains the energy. Uh, they save the day, and they head on home. Well, evidently, the evolutionary engine that the high evolutionary left behind was at critical mass. And it was about to get bad, mutate, or evolve everybody for like 100 miles. So uh, Reed gets back home. Valeria's already back. And he tells her, did you keep everything, or asks her, did you keep everything straight while we were gone? She says, uh-huh. Uh, did anything exciting happen? And uh, we get a nice beat here as we flash back to what happened in Latveria, where basically she trades, uh, she makes a deal with Doom. She trades him coming to help her father for her agreeing to help fix his brain. And they make a deal. And I believe that So Do We Have a Deal panel is exactly the one, not the same exact panel because it's a different artist, but the same moment that was foreshadowed as Mr. Franklin was uh, traveling back up the time stream um, in the first issue we looked at. Which is very interesting, too, because it's so it pays off later, too. But it's obvious if you're going to be going up against, you know, three or four um, different uh, Reed Richards, that the first person you would go to consult would be Doom. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And that, and like you said, that will pay off in a big way later oh, on yeah. down the road. Yeah, that's, one, the that's one of my favorite uh, FF issues, actually, was the meeting. You know what I'm talking about. We'll talk about it when we get to it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, then we flash to elsewhere, where we see Norinrad, the Silver Surfer, uh, and he is not happy. He's been drawn by some energy. Uh, he followed it. It was almost like a second center of the universe, and what he found was, according to him, unacceptable. 
and it's the corpse of the future Galactus buried deep beneath the crust of the Earth. I really like the way that Epting, between the art and the coloring, I think it's even more the coloring uh, than anything, but I really like the way the, the Silver Surfer looks. Yeah, he's cool looking. As is the, the corpse of yes. Galactus. Just very neat looking. Over to issue 584 which is, again, counting down to Casualty with the three arc. And in the last issue, uh, the biggest number on the cover, as we have four, three, two, one, was four. Now it's three, so we are getting very much closer. And this is a very cool cover with Ben Grimm kind of bursting out from beneath the rocky exterior of the thing. A very Kirby-looking Ben Grimm, too. I mean, this this looks a lot like how Kirby drew him, you know, back in, in the original FF number one. So we start with the thing, and we give given a little time stamp. It says uh, 8.25 a.m. on day one. As he's looking into the mirror, he's still got that devolved state, the big kind of uh, pronounced frontal lobe on his brain that he got last time he was devolved. And they, they said in the last issue, as they were fighting there, uh, you know, prolonged exposure, we don't know how long this time will last, but we think it'll, it'll run off about now. And now it's been about an hour since then, so he's starting to get... Uh, get annoyed, but then right as he's starting to get really angry, it fades back into his normal thing exterior, and so he goes and joins everyone in the kitchen for breakfast. He kind of looked like the ultra-humanite. Now, which character is the ultra-humanite? From, D- I don't from, know DC. from DC Comics. He's like a, a gorilla that has like an oversized... What was a giant brain. Yeah, yeah. He was, oh, okay. he was a mad scientist who transplanted his, uh, who grew his brain too large for his body, so he transplanted it into uh, like an albino gorilla or something. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Hey, it was DC Silver <laughs> Age, of course it made sense. Yeah, he was also in lo- the uh, Justice League Unlimited. He showed up there, yes, and it was really kind of yes. funny. Yeah, he was kind of the linchpin at the um, in the Injustice League episode. <laughs> I love when Ben comes to breakfast. The Ben! The Ben comes for his morning food. <laughs> we eat the cereal, Ben. Breakfast of champions. Would you like a bowl of the composite dye, sugar, and fructose as well? As I eat Wham Pops, which is kind of a funny name for cereal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he declines and goes meet and goes to meet up with Johnny. Uh, we then flash over to uh, Sue and the kids, with Reed as well, as Sue is heading off on a journey. We'll learn what it is later, but basically she's heading to Atlantis to facilitate a meeting between Namor and Old Atlantis. The season of the storms. Yes. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, Johnny and Ben are still having their conversation, and Ben tells us, Ben tells Johnny and us that he's going to take the serum the kids made that will make him human for a year. He thinks it's time. And so he does, and we get kind of a version of that same image from the cover as he bursts out of his skin and becomes human again. And Johnny toys with him and is like, it's horrible, it's horrible, and he gets ticked off. But everything is brought back to normal when he looks in the mirror, sees he's normal, and Johnny invites him to take a night out on the town and do all the things he hasn't been able to do in years. First off, um, it has to be green, right? When they take a magic potion or a drug or whatever, it has to be green. Well, so you know it's powerful. Right. Is it the law? And second of all, his pants still fit after all the rocks fall off of him. Of course. Unstable molecules. Oh, unstable molecules. Right. I forgot about those. Come on, Jim. Come Sorry, on. Sorry, dude. How long have you been I doing this? I forgot about those. <laughs> I love the, the... My favorite is um, you know, him, Johnny and Ben looking out the window at Manhattan. You know? He's like, give me a few minutes and we'll have a lot of missed opportunities. Just, um, I don't know. It's just a really nice panel. Yeah. Get ready, Ben. This is going to be the best day you've had in a very long time. In the next sequence with these um, 
you know, these half-page panels that really, you know, don't have any dialogue. It's just kind of a log of where they go, you know, walking down the street in Manhattan, going to a, a football game, um, you know, going to a bar with Stanley and Jack Kirby, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, dinner with old friends and says, and then having a poker. This poker game is great. With Captain America, Hawkeye, um, uh, Nick Fury, Fury Wolverine, uh, Nick Iron Fist, uh, Spider Man, Luke Cage. Yeah. Yeah, Luke Cage. Uh, cool, cool, uh, cool panel. It's really, really awesome. And by the time they're walking home at night, they ran into they run into the Yancey Street gang. In one of the strangest variations of that gang I've ever seen, yes. it feels very Hickman. Yes, like yes, I yes. feel like he could write a whole series about these. But basically, the the bad economy has hit the Yancey Street gang as bad as anyone, and now it's made up of like investment bankers who are down on their luck and are trying to forcibly coerce you into investing with them. Basically, it's weird and hilarious. Um, and basically, John, Johnny says, hey, you know, you haven't gotten a punch of normal person in a long time. How about we start with these guys? And so they do. <laughs> but it is, the dialogue is just hilarious. Meanwhile, Sue is continuing on her journey. She goes to Utopia, meets up with Namor and Scott and Emma. Um, and and she, does she have a history with Emma? I was going to ask because that, too, because I don't really remember them having a history. No, I... And I wanted to ask our X-Men expert, Russ. No, not, not that I recall. Um, I... Do Emma and Namor have a history? Well, it it's been implied that they do, um, and because that could be a good reason. Yeah, and during this time period, um, Emma got really cozy with Namor on several occasions, and and it was heavily implied that the two of them at some point in the past had kind of hooked up together, kind of like her and Tony Stark, and it's just kind of like Emma's. They really did a, a number with Emma. And how she's got all these connections to all these guys in the in the Marvel universe, um, so I don't I don't know connections. Huh? Yeah, connections. I mean, I remember when Tiger used to be the slut of the Marvel universe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was a while ago, though. So we then flash back over to New York City, where uh, the and, Kansas oh wait, Street, one more Street thing. Gang... Thank God, thank God, we went with this Namor costume and not the little short shorts. <laughs> this is a cool looking this costume. This is a cool looking yeah, Namor costume. I can deal with that. It's like a variation on the like super villain team up era um, Namor costume that had like the the webbing kind of under the arms and stuff. It looks similar to that costume. Yeah, and I love how they've pretty much at this point almost totally gone back on the whole Namor the first mutant thing. He doesn't have the X Men logo on his belt anymore. I mean, like in the current Hickman, you know, New Avengers, Avengers, New Avengers yeah. and stuff. It's just kind of funny how that that was like a a thing they did for a while and just completely dropped. But. So meanwhile, in New York, after they've beaten up the reformed or new, newly formed version of the Anti Street Gang, uh, Johnny drops Ben off at a surprise location, and it is the apartment of Alicia Masters, where uh, they have a kind of tearful reunion and uh, get to spend at least a part of an evening together for the first time as humans, as far as I know, ever. Or if, at least in a really long time. I, I know there's been a couple portions where he's gone human again for short periods. Johnny Storm, Ultimate Wingman. <laughs> and I love his little, good for you, Ben, as he leans against the car. On top of the Bastard Building, it's 12.05 a.m. on day two. Uh, Reed is searching the stars. He's looking at the Fault, which was very big at the time in Marvel Cosmic, with the DNA run, uh, the Cancerverse, and all that kind of stuff. And he's looking around at different stuff uh, through the telescope when Norn Rad shows up. And says, uh, we got a problem. I found the body. 
I'm not happy, but more than that, my master's not happy, and he would have answers from you now. As we end with a page of Galactus hovering over the Baxter building, looking mighty unhappy. Love that panel. Yes. That's yes. awesome. It's so classic, too, the you know, Galactus over the Baxter building, going back to, like, even Fantastic Four Forty Eight. It's just a really nice, nice piece. Also reminiscent of a scene in the Shield comic by Jonathan Hickman, where he's over um, Italy. Italy? Who is he fighting? Is he fighting Leonardo da Vinci or Galileo? Uh, Galileo. It's Galileo. Okay, I couldn't remember which of the ones is, is fighting him, but yes, there's a very similar panel there too. Issue 585 of the three arc, Countdown to Casualty, we are now to two. We are counting down to number one, and it's a nice cover there with uh, kind of a uh, classic Star Wars homage with Re- uh, Sue on Namor's uh, leg. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that any better, but not something that'll be happening in the issue, but still a cool image. Uh, so Johnny and Ben are heading back. It's 12.25 a.m. They're heading back to the Baxter building after spending the evening with Alicia. Uh, when they see Galactus up in the clouds and Johnny leaves Ben behind at the car because Ben is in human form right now and goes up to find out what's going on and if there's going to be a big problem because Galactus is there. So Reed gives him kind of the short version of what happened. The All the people from that future Earth who grabbed Galactus, trapped him, used his body as a power source to travel back in time from the decaying Earth to our Earth, that whole Earth 2 thing. It's complicated. And, uh, but basically he gives Galactus uh, the, the short version of that story, and Galactus tells him, well, guess what? We're going there. I'm not happy. I'm going to get some answers from the people who did this. Uh, Nornrad, Silver Surfer, is going to pick up a few of the other stragglers from that Earth who are here, and uh, we're all going to go to that other Earth, to New World. And so they do. And they're taking Reed with them. Yep. <laughs> Uh, we then head back uh, beneath the sea to the Central Pacific Basin, where we've got uh, Sue, Andromeda, and Namor discussing uh, the plans of the treaty that they're working on, the, the peace negotiations between Old and New Atlantis. And uh, Sue has a little argument with Andromeda, but by the end decides they're going to be best friends forever, uh, despite Namor's disagreement. Which I thought was pretty funny. Is it me, or is this... I found of of this whole arc, this was the most uninteresting storyline that was going on. I mean, I I understand it had some pretty serious, it does have some serious repercussions and and pretty dramatic ending to this arc, but everything else kept me really really engaged while I was reading it. And the the Sue Storm Atlantis stuff just I don't know what it was. It just kind of really I, I just kind of moved through it. I, it didn't really grab me. I kind of agree with you on the old Atlantis stuff, except any scene involving Sue and Namor. Those are all great, I think, especially the payoff, which we'll get to this sure, episode. Sure. Um, but the other stuff, yeah, it's just kind of... It's it's a cool idea, but I don't really care that much. It, yeah, it's one of those... It has to happen to get to where they, they want to put things, but it's just how they get there just isn't as interesting to me. Plus, the Zirkman always does, he's moving the pieces where he wants them to be. Reed is off-planet with Galactus in New World. Sue is having to, you know, well, we'll see where she, you know, why she gets stuck there in New Atlantis. Ben is human again and not the thing. You know, we're setting up for what is inevitably going to be happening to Johnny by, you know, taking, you know, by attrition. Right. Right. 
So uh, this is going on. Reed and Galactus get up to, is it pronounced Ta-Tu? Ta, yeah. Which is uh, Galactus's crazy-looking space station slash home. Ta is the home planet that Galactus was originally from in the last universe. Yes. And so he named the space station after it. Um, so he, he Galactus is talking to Reed, having a mostly pleasant conversation, but uh, he, sa- he tells him, right now my primary goal is uh, the prevention of my at- unnatural death, but we left because I feared the outcome of a potential confrontation if I stayed on the Earth. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? He says, the blocks in his, mu- in his mind have been broken and his powers are active again. Reed Richards, we have to talk about your son, which is hilarious and horrifying at the same time when Galactus needs to give you parenting yes. advice. And I love the cut to uh, back at the Baxter building with the FF, um, where our immediate cut is to Franklin saying, oh no, as uh, Ben and Johnny are telling all the kids of the FF a story of one of their heroic adventures. And I love, they're talking about to the Mad Thinker. And I love Bentley's comment. He says, surprisingly, actually, I've met the Mad Thinker before. Limited, limited faculties, horrible breath. Yeah. Uh, they send the kids to bed, and then Ben and Johnny have a conversation about whether they want kids. Johnny says, absolutely, more than anything in the world. And uh, Well, he asked him what the moral of his story is, and they all have different morals, and none of them are the moral. He's trying to get across to them. So they just send him to bed. Yeah. But yeah, then Johnny says he wants kids more than anything, and Ben says he hasn't really had a lot of time to think he about it. He tried not to think about it. Or try, yeah, try not to. We then head over to uh, the chamber of the Antipriest. We have not seen him in a while, but he's the guy with the negative symbol on his head, servant of Annihilus, the negative zone, all that kind of stuff. As he tells his followers that the time is drawing clear where the second great annihilation wave is coming, and then they get a message from Annihilus telling them it's time. Yep. More specifically, tomorrow we will seize the Baxter building and open the door into the negative zone. So then, then the wave can begin. Meanwhile, under the Gulf of Thailand, uh, we, we meet up with Sue again in Old Atlantis. They're having their meeting. Things are not going particularly well. Uh, Old Atlantis wants more than New Atlantis is willing to give them. And finally, Namor will have no more of it. And he throws a spear through the chest of one of the four kings of Old Atlantis. Now, I did. And then I did that, have, it ends with... When okay. that happened, I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> I was like, I, I thought maybe at first, because um, when I was reading this, it was on the guided view thing, which was actually kind of cool, because I didn't see... It was hard to tell on that third panel. Like, you see him throwing it, then Sue yells, and then the the spear goes. And you could almost think, oh, maybe it's going to go between them. Like, maybe he's just trying to get his point across. And then when it, you know, when it advances yet again, it's like, nope. No, he wanted to get a oh, point yeah. across, or three of them, because it's a trident, but not yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah. And then in the next panel, of course, when he kicks the one, you know, kicks the one and then pulling the spear out of the other's gut, I'm like, oh, damn, he just did that. <laughs> there is but one king under the sea. Imperious Red. There's Namor being a d- again. <laughs> <laughs> that Namor, he's incorrigible. Uh, we then head to issue 586, Countdown to Casualty, We're Down to One. And it's a pretty cool cover with uh, Reed wrapped around Galactus as Galactus is clutching at him in uh, Tattoo. It's kind of a cool image. Again, it doesn't happen in the book, but it's a cool image. Uh, so things are quickly devolving into anarchy in Old Atlantis. Uh, when Sue realizes 
she's like, why would you do this? This is a horrible thing. You've only got a few guards with you. And then she realizes, oh, no, all of the new Atlantis is coming to old Atlantis to blow them to smithereens. So she quickly puts up a force field around the entire city and says, no one's getting in. No one's getting out until we work this whole thing out. Meanwhile, on Tatu, Reed is there with Galactus when the other people who were on our Earth, 616, uh, who were connected to the whole future Galactus death, are brought aboard. And it's Ted, I want to say Ted Cord, but that's not it. It's Ted uh, Castle and his wife, Alicia Moy, the robot version of her, specifically uh, Alicia Moy 2512, uh, which Reed did not realize was on Earth. They had only jumped there a few issues back. Uh, but uh, they're heading all of them to New Earth to deal with things. That that image of Alyssa Moy with the robot, w- well, when she kind of shows her robotics and all that stuff, that it's really creepy to me. Especially because like those plugs pop out yeah. of her shoulder. Like I'm not sure exactly why, but that just adds to the creep factor. That and the singular eye. It's almost like she has a starro attached to her forehead or something like that. You know, like yeah, that's what it look like. Yeah, absolutely. I like the little bit where they uh, they drift past the Ultron planet, you know, the entire planet comprised of sentient AIs, and it's like, I will investigate. He's like, no, leave it. We have to remain. Right, because that's where all step. the Ultrons went. To... Was that like the moon of New <clears throat> World? I yeah, I think so. Yeah. So while that's going on, we flash back uh, day six, two twelve p.m. EST, uh, where we're again hearing the words of the Anti Priest. As he says, the time is now. Go, pierce the portal, make a way for our master. Um, And over at the Baxter building, things start to get bad. Remember, Ben is still in his human form, so he's, I don't want to say useless, but not as useful as he would normally be as a bunch of negative zone ninja-type creatures bust in. And uh, the fight starts. Uh, The kids of the FF are fighting as hard as they can because many of them have powers, not all of them, but the ones that do, especially Alex Power, are helping. Um, The creatures turn into bugs. They're fighting them, it's bad, and they know they need to get to the portal ASAP because uh, the negative zone wants to come through into our world. And I love the little interstitial with the the moloids. They decide clear communication is paramount in situations like these. Um, Extrapolate. Uh, Overcoming Obstacles by Dr. P.H. Mann states that a personal connection is the mortar used in in building our relationships. Suggestions? Uh, Tell them about yourself. They're talking about the the bug creatures. He says, Hello, my name is Kor. I like romantic comedies and games of chance. Do you perhaps roll the bones? (laughs) And uh, the Annihilus uh, Brigade uh, does not react well to that. I noticed in in rereading this, uh, Russ, the text that these guys use is the same text that has been used in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., in the episode I Spy, with the uh, perhaps Cree writing, like the kind of schematic-looking thing, I believe this is the same exact text, not the specific um, phrase, but the same font that is used on that image as well. Oh, interesting. So I wonder if there could be a, a, a nihilist negative zone connection in that, and not just Cree and Inhumans, like a lot of people are thinking. I don't know. That could be just generic space text. Maybe so. I guess it would depend how much of that would fall under the... Um... You know, the Fox Fantastic Four franchise and the you know how much would fall in the you know, greater Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah, I don't know who has the negative zone in Nihilus rights. Um, but that's a subject for another day. Uh, so, flashback to New World. Galactus is surveying this uh, decrepit world that is circling a black hole and uh, time is moving, moving too fast. He has this conversation with Reed about, you know, this, this is the future of your world do you know the way to stop it? And Reed says yes, because the the other Reeds showed him how to basically make endless food. So he says he pre- he's pretty sure he can avoid this future from ever happening. So this Galactus will not die the same way that he did in the future. And so Galactus decides, well, 
then it's 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 set. If you can stop this from happening, then I've got no problem with you. I'm just going to take my revenge on this planet, and I'm not even going to consume it. I'm just going to destroy it. And he starts. It's kind of a it's kind of similar to the biblical story uh, with I guess it's God, Abraham, and Lot, where. You know, what if I can only find a few good people in the city? What if I can find ten? Will you save it then? What if I can find five? Um, it's It reminds me a lot of that, where Reed's basically pleading for the planet, and Galactus is like, no, I'm going to destroy it. Um, if you want to go ahead and try to save as many people as you want, you, you go do what you have to do. I'm going to do what I have to do, and just destroy everything. Yeah, I like the fact that Galactus is logical enough to see that, well, I can this, this planet is basically free reign, because... If Reed makes it so these people never get here in the first place, then there won't be any planet really to destroy. So I could just kind of have my way with it and basically reconsume energy that I will lose in the future. Right. And since he can't really destroy our Earth because of the celestial egg and all that kind of stuff, might as well have a surrogate Earth. You know, it's kind of living out. Of, right. he, he's role playing with a planet more or yeah. less, if you want to think that just way. Just to, to back up for one second. Uh, I love the way they do the almost like eight bit black and white thing with Alex Powers with his powers. Yes, his gravitational yeah, powers. Awesome. It's just kind of like this. I mean, it's obviously computer generated, but a really cool overlay onto his arms, and then uses that to. Well, that's the way they kind of show shown his powers back in the day in the Simonson uh, or Louis Simonson run, right? Uh, yeah, there's like, a, it's like that kind summoned... of black checker pattern. I it's like he's summoning that. space invaders. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim powers. Yeah. <laughs> so flashing over to day six, again in uh, old Atlantis, uh, Sue Storm has been holding this, uh, this force field for quite a while now. She's bleeding from the nose, but it's still holding strong. And she tells them to bring the prisoner Namor to her. And uh, he starts hitting on her. She won't have any of it. Um, but he basically tells her, look, things aren't what they seem. You think this old Atlantis, these old Atlantis guys are here and they're being helpful. But let me tell you the real story of these guys. We destroyed them and kicked them out of the ocean, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. This is passed down from King of Atlantis to King of Atlantis. They were the terrors and butchers of the sea. They would go and whatever they couldn't, you know, consume, they would destroy. If they couldn't destroy it, they would just you know, erase it from history. Their whole deal is they make you think that they're on your side, that they're interesting in a peaceful dialogue. They learn everything they can about you, and then they just obliterate you. I'm doing you a favor. Um, but she does not want to believe that. He says they think she's they're going to kill her because the whole title she's been given is a title they've been using for hundreds of thousands of years, and it's basically just their pawn who eventually gets killed. Uh, more on that later. We head back to the Baxter building where the fight is still ongoing and the kids are trying to figure out how to close the portal. Um, when was all the vibranium in the 616 rendered inert? I don't remember that happening, but I've heard it referenced many times. I don't I don't recall. I think Scarlet well, Witch at one point said no more vibranium. <laughs> <laughs> no more tacos. Um so, yeah, basically, the, the shielding on the Earth side of the portal was vibranium-plated, and so that was the whole thing, but now vibranium's inert, so they've got older shielding on it, but that's not going to be as effective. However, the vibranium in, on the other side of the portal, in the negative zone, is still usable, so their plan is, okay, we need to destroy everything here, head across the portal, close it from that side, lock down the shielding, and get back here before the wave comes through. You did kind of gloss over the part where they build Ben Grimm a giant gun, and he says, Daddy, gonna work. 
<laughs> that is a lot of fun. So the, the bugs break through the shielding on our side, and they head across at Walt. And the issue ends with a bunch of Annihilus drones and, and bruisers coming through uh, with a lot of alien text, and the only word you can make out is Annihilus. That's all you really need to know. Apparently, <laughs> in case you forgot, doing d- just doing a quick search um, from the Marvel, the official Marvel wiki, uh, T'Challa rendered the Black Panther rendered all Wakandan vibranium inert and useless during the Doom War. Gotcha. So, which is like a little bit before like Children Crusade. So it wasn't too, it wasn't too much previous to to when all this stuff was going on. Well, I mean, and coming into this next issue, before we actually get into the meat of it. I know a lot of people had already been spoiled at this point that, you know, to who, you know, was going to die in this issue or whatever. But the way it's written, it could have been any of them. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean, I mean, Sue yeah. is, you know, Sue is at the bottom of New Atlantis, barely holding her own, trying to keep, you know, the two factions from, from warring. Reed is trying to save whatever life he can in New World. Ben is depowered and trying to save the kids, and, and Johnny's on the wrong side of the negative zone, you know. I mean, it could have been any one of them, and I, I thought that was really cool. I mean, it was, as you know, as it stands now, when you read previews, you're going to be spoiled to these kind of things or whatever, but I thought it was cool that, that that was the way Hickman broke it down. And this is issue 587. This is the one that was famously polybagged in the all-black polybag with the three on the cover instead of a four logo. Yeah. The one thing I'll say about this whole thing, uh, and I'll, I'll, I think I'll have a little bit more to say afterwards, and I, I think we even commented on during the time when, when this was coming out, but... This was like an event, but not an event, right? I mean, it it started getting a lot of hype. We knew that somebody was going to die, but it didn't, like in a lot of comics, if this was a three or four part arc, it would have been, you know, typically like the whole team would have been together. There would have been this this major objective or big battle that, that they would be either working towards or involved in. There'd be all kinds of stuff going on with the team. And the way Hickman did this is he split, for the most part, split them all up, had, it was kind of a slow burn. It like, we didn't get like a major event to kick this off. And then we're the whole of, you know, event leading up to the death. We're having to deal with it. It's, it's just like these little parts. And then it just really ramped up in the last two issues. You know, it just, it just really started uh, to, you know, you really started to get the feeling that something was going on. That seems to be Hickman wrote it as a big part of his story, and then Marvel marketed it as an event. Exactly. More than yeah, I mean, else. I to- I totally believe that as well. Well, I was also going to say, I mean, Hickman's mo a lot of the time is when he does these events. I mean, if you look at Infinity, for instance, the lead in for that for Avengers or what have you. I mean, they're more plot driven than they are quote unquote event driven. You know, what I mean, Infinity wasn't. I mean, when you look at Civil War, Civil War was about the Civil War. When you look at Infinity, it was about more than just the giant galactic war going on. You know, in the right. core of it. I mean, right. he, it's more plot-driven, more character-driven than event-driven. That's what I'm trying to say, more than more gimmick-driven. Um, and then this is a very good example of that. This, you know, for being, you know, event, non-event or whatever, it just happens very organically in the story. It every it's, it's not, you know, it's made for, it's not a sensational thing. It's not there to, like, you know, sell polybagged issues with the number three on him. I don't think that was his intent or whatever. It just is a very logical extension of the story and where it goes. And the cover under the polybag is very cool. No text on it, aside from the Marvel logo. Um, there is the Fantastic Four logo in the center, and it is shattered. And there are four quadrants, more or less, on the image. Uh, one for each member of the Fantastic Four as they fight someone or something um, that could kill them in this issue. 
and this issue was titled Three Part Five, <laughs> kind of funny, The Last Stand. Um, and we kind of get first off just some interstitials showing you where everyone where everyone is. Um, Sue is in Old Atlantis, where she's just been told by the Old Atlanteans. Yeah, we still use that title that was the sacrifice in old times, but here it's not really what that is. In fact, because Namor killed one of the kings, you now take his place. Basically, you're ruling uh, old Atlantis now, so she is in full regal robes. Uh, Reed is fleeing Galactus, and over in the Baxter building, Johnny and Ben are doing their back to hold back the second great annihilation wave. So they are fighting them, but they're kind of losing ground when Leech starts yelling, Punch! 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 And it's uh, Valeria who figures out what to do. She hits him over the head with uh, kind of a spanner-looking thing. And once he's knocked out, because he figured out what they needed to do, Franklin's powers reactivate because Leech is no longer leeching them. And he's able to say, and I love this, Whoa! Bug spray. And just start liquefying the Annihilus bugs. While glowing red. Like, he looks kind of like the Human Torch with electricity powers. I love how Leech is kind of the one who kind of turns the tide and saves the day by getting himself knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they gear up. They've killed all the bugs inside on their side of the portal, and they gear up to head through into the other side of the portal, taking the kids with them because they're going to need the smarts of the kids to figure out how to reset the portal and shield it from that side. There's a great, uh, great panel here at the bottom of the one page with all the kids lined up behind uh, Ben and Johnny. Ben's like, yes. here we go, chit-chlack, and the kids are all ready for action. It's pretty awesome. Uh, over in uh, Old Atlantis is where we get that explanation of uh, Sue not being the sacrifice, but instead basically now being the ruler of all of Old Atlantis, which is pretty cool. Uh, over on New World, Galactus is continuing to destroy everything, and if you remember from our last episode, um, what was that character's name? Natalie X... Uh, became the world mind of New World, so she now has the consciousness of every single person on the planet in her own brain. So they don't need to save everybody on the planet. They literally just need to get her off because the human bodies walking around are basically just drones now. And her brain is probably 20 size, uh, twenty times the size of her body, kind of like Hector Hammond gone even worse, you know? Yeah, on steroids. steroids. kind of hideous, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. It's all craggy and it's just, scarred and it's stuff. Really it's like Michael Stipe's head. <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. Over in the negative zone, we get this awesome one-page splash of Franklin in the center, uh, Johnny on the right, and Ben on the left. John, uh, ben using the big gun, uh, Johnny doing what he does with flaming on, and uh, Franklin in the center just using his powers to wreck shop on the other side of the portal. Uh, so the kids start working on what they're going to do, um, trying to figure out exactly how to reset the uh, the portal. And there's actually a lot of techno babble here, but pretty well written and very, very easy to follow as far as I'm concerned. But uh, they, they kind of figure out at one point, well, maybe we could use a bomb. And I love Bentley's uh, Bentley's reaction to that. Of um, what, where is it? I'm looking on the page, but I don't see the exact thing. But basically, it's like, I would love to build another bomb. Oh, here we go. I find the idea of building another bomb very exciting. Yeah. And, and he keeps, like, every kid's in charge of a different thing. Like, uh, you know, uh, Artie is expanding the tech of the of the machine so they can look at all the different parts. And Bentley's there to decide, like, or to tell them, like, what their chance of survival are. So every time they make a change, he tells them, you know, 1.2%, 8%, whatever. But finally, they come to the realization that the only way to seal the portal, to not let radiation in, but, you know, they can't use a bomb because that would possibly kill everybody in New York. 
The only thing they can do is have someone stay behind and activate the shielding themselves. Uh, we then head back over to Old Atlantis for the climax of this part, which is oh so good. I, I love this, but uh, Namor's taken aback by them crowning Sue the ruler, um, and she tells him, uh, so this fight's going to stop now. You're going to give us everything we want, and you're going to stop this ridiculous charade. Um, and he disagrees with her. He says, woman, I do, uh, she turns his ba- her back on him and says, woman, you do not turn away from. And she backhands him with a force field armored arm that is Doom's arm, which I love the detail of. Yeah. But she says, honor your deal, Namor. I'm done asking nicely. It reminded me a lot of armor from the X-Men, the, the character. Yeah. That, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. It's cool to see her use her uh, her force field in an offensive rather than a yes. defensive mode. Because you don't see that very much. I, I know in the burn run she did. And, and the choice of making it Doom's arm just says so much. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, that that's what you take down Namor with. Um, but <laughs> he, he's on the ground and he's just looking up shocked. He says, you dare? She's like, you're damn right I do. In case you missed it, these are now my people. I rule here, and I am a queen that bows to no king. And he takes a beat and then just says, God, you are magnificent. That was awesome. And I think that sums up Namor in one line better than anything else I've ever yeah, read. Yeah, that was awesome. Says, says and she what? basically tells him, sign the treaty, I'm going home. This is done. Drops the mic and walks out. Back on New World, uh, they're getting to the ship to get everybody, or to get the few people they need to get off the planet, when the maestro shows up and he is not happy. But basically, by the end, they decide we're, we're just all going to get on the ship. We're all going to leave New World forever. Set the coordinates for Earth. Let's go home as Galactus destroys the planet. And it's not said here, I don't think, but it'll be explained later. I might as well explain it now. They're going to travel to Earth, but they're going to do it um, uh, relativity style in that it's going to take them a long time to get there. But they'll still main, be basically the same age, but Earth will... Um, age normally, so by the time they get to Earth, it'll be just like when they left. The right time frame. I forget when that's explained, it'll happen later, but might as well get that out of the way now. Back on the negative zone, or in the negative zone, the Annihilus wave is fast approaching. They have only a matter of 63 seconds until the wave hits. They're out of time, and Ben basically says, look, get the kids to the other side, I'm taking it, I'll stay behind, get everyone on the other side, Johnny. And uh, Johnny is trying to talk him out of it. You know, isn't there another way, kids? Isn't there something we can do? Valeria tells him no. And then uh, an explosion happens. Johnny takes the initiative, and he pushes Ben through the portal with the kids and shuts it behind him. As we have a very tear-jerking, tear-jerking moment, uh, Ben is, is crying, you know, you can't do this. you got to open it back up. Let me stay on the other side. And uh, Johnny refuses. And he's given instructions by Valeria of how to shut the portal, how to make sure it's shielded and that nobody will come through. And uh, once Johnny has it all done, he looks through the portal to Ben and says, when you see Reed, you tell him, tell him this is where I made my stand. Which is a, well, is a callback to a previous issue that we talked yeah. about. I love that Hickman even go- goes through the trouble of saying, you know, enter the code, you know, 4321. At this point, it's going to shut and the code's going to be randomized and then you can't even type it to, to get it in. I mean, it, it's just amazing sometimes the amount of detail he puts in his dialogue you know to to cover all the bases and that the, you know him saying that that's where he makes his stand has a double meaning later yes yeah. true when they when they, uh, when they go to look for him 
Um, it's a very heartbreaking moment. Right at that moment, as the Annihilation Wave is showing up, Ben starts to turn back into the thing. His week is up. Um, he was just seconds too late. If it had just happened earlier, he might have stayed on the other side. But uh, Johnny puts his hand up to the portal and says, you don't wish it any more than I do. Again, one of those panels that was foreshadowed uh, in the first issue of this episode. They kind of touch hands on the other sides of the portal. Um, and then he says, so this is it. A billion to a one. A billion to one. You think I'm afraid of that? You think I'm afraid of that? Flame on. And then he takes on the entire Annihilation wave on his own with uh, a glorious two-page spread of The Last Stand of Johnny Storm, which is the title of this issue. Um, and we end with Ben sitting on the other side of the portal, crying with uh, Franklin and Valeria uh, cradled in his arms. It is a heartbreaking ending as Johnny dies in the negative zone. The, um, the, the secret, the, um, him flame on with like his back to the camera, the entire nice wave coming at him. Then the next um, page with the five panels alternating between Ben looking through the aperture Seeing Annihilus and Annihilation Wave and closing it on Ben and closing it on Annihilus's face. You see the tears running down Ben Grimm's face. And he just says, oh God, John. And then that's just, I mean, that's just heartbreaking sequence right there. And then uh, then the double page spread of, of him being overwhelmed. And then finally, you know, him cradling Franklin and Valor's arms. Just such a good sequence visually and just such a good bit of storytelling. And it's funny, too, because, you know, they made a point and Hickman has of Johnny being kind of the typical Johnny, right? Happy-go-lucky, never taking anything serious, always being a jokester, identifying more with the kids than with the adults. And here he is in a situation where he's completely selfless. He throws Ben in because he knows there's no way he'd survive. He knows he, that he's probably not going to survive. And he takes it like a man. You know, he, he, you know, he doesn't, act silly or give some kind of silly response he basically says you know bring it i'm i'm ready for you and then just you know flames on and and is ready to go full bore well as i said at the time um jonathan hickman accomplished the impossible he made johnny storm a badass and this is like the beginning of that for sure yeah and we should say um despite what you may have heard from people johnny really does die he absolutely dies we'll get into it more in future episodes but he absolutely dies in that moment it's not like he just survived and kept going. Johnny died there. Uh, and we flip to pay, uh, issue 588, our final issue for this episode, with the giant final issue banner up top. The Fantastic Four logo with their four images, except where Johnny would normally be is just a blank circle. And uh, we have uh, Reed, Sue, and Ben crying and holding each other in the foreground, where in the background we see the four of them uh, flying into action, um, kind of in a faded Tone. It was kind of funny that they had final issue on this, uh, and then you know we jump ahead to six hundred, and then by the time we got to six eleven, which was the actual final issue, of the Hickman run, it also has final issue uh, banner yeah, across yeah. the top. <laughs> it, it's funny in the credits. As does FF twenty three in the credits page? It credits uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby as grieving parents. Oh, that I never yeah. noticed that before. Yeah, this issue um, is illustrated by Nick Dragata. This is one of the first Nick Dragata things I think I'd seen. Maybe I'd read The Red Wing already. I can't remember when that was published. Um, but this is a mostly no, the Red Wing silent was, issue. was um, was um, Nick Patara. That's true. Uh, Hickman works with too many names. <laughs> Forget about that. Um, so this might have been the first time I'd seen Nick Dragata art. Uh, he's, of course, working with Hickman still to this day in East of West, which is fantastic. Um, I don't know that I love this art the first time I saw it, but it has grown on me so much. I love the kind of 
classic feel to it, almost like you see with Apollo Rivera or a Marcos Martin or something like that. Um, and this is a mostly silent issue with a um, backup story that, that does have words, um, more so than the main issue. But this is basically just, it's called A Month of Mourning, and it, that's what it is. You're just seeing how the Marvel Universe mourns for, ben, for, for Johnny Storm. I'm kind of like uh, with you, Jordan. I am a huge fan of Nick Dragota. I, I, in last year's duties, I think he was, if not my top artist, then he was definitely number two for me. I, I think East of West is just a tour de force in every sense. Um, but I don't know if maybe he's just refined his craft over time. But I think his art on East of West just seems more refined to me. Um and honestly, I think a lot of that is the coloring. Right. I don't like the coloring as much. Yeah, in I mean, this issue. Frank Martin is his colorist on East of West. This is Nick Dragota or uh, uh, Paul Mounts. Um, but it, even the line work just seems a little different. Um, I mean, there's some of it that is really, really sharp and really, really good. Um, but there's others where it just isn't quite as as fine as um, as I'm used to. His his Sue Storm is is a little wonky to me. Um, but yeah, in in general. She does have kind of a weird yeah. face. And I think maybe he's trying to channel a little bit of, of Kirby in his style. Um, we see it a lot in Reed. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'd be curious to go back and see what else um, around this time that Dragota has done. Because I like with you, Jordan, I think this is the first time I recall seeing his work. So we start off with the uh, Avengers arriving at the Baxter building moments after... Um, everyone's come back through the portal, Sans Johnny, of course, um, but they were too late, and we see everyone sitting there. The thing is just red-eyed, which is an image I don't think I've ever seen before, um, and everyone is kind of mourning. Uh, we go to day three, where Sue is sitting huddled in her room with the lights off alone. Uh, Reed tries to come in and comfort her, and she just puts up a force field around her. And I love how his fingers are stretched all around the force field, but she's blocking him out, sort of like how he blocked her out earlier in the series when he was working in his uh, room of 101 Solutions. Yeah. Day four, Reed goes to a secret part of the Baxter building where he has hidden the ultimate nullifier. Is that what it's called? Ultimate nullifier? Or a yeah. different adjective? Yeah. No, that's definitely the ultimate nullifier. Okay. I couldn't remember if I had the word ultimate wrong. I knew, it was, I knew nullifier. The first was right, appearance, but goes... I think, was uh, FF49 when they st- scare off Galactus with it the first time. Right. And uh, he goes to the portal to the negative zone and opens it up. And on the other side, there is Annihilus. We will see this um, sequence again with words in a later issue. But it's very powerful here as he holds up the ultimate nullifier and threatens Annihilus with it. And Annihilus just kind of gives him a coy look and then holds up a uh, torn remnant of Johnny's Fantastic Four uniform. And uh, Reed has to turn away and close the portal. Day five is a memorial service for uh, Johnny Storm with uh, a bunch of uh, who's who of the Marvel Universe there mourning for him. And uh, we see that Ben is not taking this well. He's in in every panel. He's just head down, eyes red, uh, angry. I notice that we have Cap and Steve Rogers at the funeral. Yep. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> because of the time period. Yes, it's Bucky Cap. Even, uh, even... The white and gold Iron Fist uniform. Yeah. And I love that. I don't know if that's Mick or Core, but in the suit with the striped shirt underneath, that's kind of a cute look. Uh, flash forward to day six, and it is the inauguration of Christoph Vernard uh, to the throne of Latveria. And Doom uh, kind of is looking from the shadows. And then by day eight, we see him getting out of a, a limousine at the uh, memorial for Johnny Storm and he, as he goes to mourn with the family. 
not with them, but there at the same place. Kind of nice to see him there. Kind of uh, reminiscent of the black issue of uh, Amazing Spider-Man after 9-11, where even Doom has a heart when he needs to. Day 14, uh, Spider-Man swinging through the city and going to join Franklin up on the roof, and we'll see this in the backup story later, which is just beautiful and one of my favorite things in the run. Day 20, it's the Future Foundation, the FF, sitting in their classroom as Valeria, who, like I said earlier, drawn way too tall. Like, she she looks much older than she should, but I still love the art. Um, writing on a the board a to-do list, and that's fine for potential replacements, but as everyone looks on kind of disinterestedly, she erases it and replaces with that to-do list, Kill Annihilus, with just a angry look in her eyes. That's an awesome panel. Yeah, yeah. Day 26, uh, we see Ben Grimm out in the desert uh, meeting with uh, Bruce Banner and Dr. What's the doctor's name? Uh, Donald Blake. I couldn't think of that. Which, this must be one of the last appearances of Donald Blake. Because very soon after this, they kind of did away with him. But anyway, uh, in the desert, they meet up with with Ben Grimm. And they're showing him a final message from Johnny Storm, which we'll again see later on in the run. Um, He is not taking it well, though. Uh, Donald Blake calls down the thunder, becomes Thor. Uh, They try to kind of comfort Ben. He punches Thor. Uh, Banner hulks out into a gorgeous rendition of the Hulk. That is straight Kirby there. Um, I love that version. And they just have this throw down, beat down in the desert that ends with um, Ben just huddled over crying, Thor crying, and, uh, and Hulk hugging the thing. Which, when was the last time you saw that? It was really cool because it was just a sequence like it's almost like they knew going out there that this was going to be the end result. And they just let him kind of release his anger. You know, they it's almost like, let's go do this for Ben. We're going to give him this message. He's going to react badly. He needs to be able to lash out. And who else can take it in the Marvel Universe? Then, you know, who else could take a beating from the thing in the Marvel Universe but Thor and the Hulk? Uh, so I just if Hulk just stands yeah. there and lets him punch yeah. him over and over. I just again. thought that was really Probably cool. Has some things to work out. Yeah, definitely. It's like therapy. Yeah, exactly. The Marvel Universe way. Day twenty nine. Reed is sitting uh, forlorn in his uh, office in his uh, laboratory. And I love this. I uh, love this, the panels here. This is so Kirby. It hurts. Yeah, the, the, he's, the he's got like and everything, and then the shot of him looking at the screen in the background. He just has like that circuit kind of. Um, Mondrian type thing going on. It's a really cool page. And Reed is all unshaven. His eyes are red. Uh, he looks terrible. And he's looking at a list of threats and uh, the threat levels. Um, most of them are high. And in fact, the only one that's medium is the Celestial Invasion via the bridge, which is kind of funny considering what will happen later. Um, but then at the end of the list, there's Reformation of the Council. And instead of high or medium, it says necessary. Yeah. And at that moment, we end the main story when the when there's a flash behind him and we get uh, the only words in the main story, which is, my God, as Nathaniel Richards appears and says, hello, son, I'm home, which will be very important later. Yeah. As we've said many, many times through the <laughs> and, uh, here at the Hickman Appreciation Society. Exactly. Then in our backup story, which I said before, but I'll say it again, is just beautiful and tear-jerking. Um, We go back to day 14, I believe it was, where Franklin is sitting on the roof of the Baxter building, and who should show up but Peter Parker, the amazing Spider-Man. And he he sits down with him, um, and he, you know, asks him, how you doing? Can I hang out with you a bit? And uh, he he talks, you know, I heard you lost your uncle. I'm sorry about that. 
and uh, how how are you handling things basically? And Franklin tells him, "I can't sleep. I keep having bad thoughts." And Pete says, "I, I know what you mean." Uh, what do you say we clear our heads? And he takes Franklin web swinging throughout the city and uh, convinces him to go uh, have a hot dog with him. He says, well, I'm starving for a hot dog, but I'm not going to eat one unless you do. Don't make me beg. Um, so they go to get hot dogs, but <laughs> Peter doesn't have any money, so he has to borrow a dollar from Franklin to get them. And then they go up to, is that the Empire State Building that has those It's a Chrysler on Building. Them? Yeah. Chrysler Building. They go up to the top of the Chrysler Building and eat their hot dogs. And... Uh, Pete says, you know, I don't know if your mom and dad ever told you about this or not, but when I was younger, not your age, older, but still too young, I lost my uncle as well. We were very close, like you and Johnny were. Did you know that? And uh, Franklin says, no, what happened? He says, he was killed in a robbery. And uh, Franklin says, I'm sorry. And Pete says, me too, and not a day goes by that I don't think about him, not a single one, but it doesn't make me sad anymore. I mean, sure, I wish he was still here, and God, do I miss him, but... After a while, the dark thoughts, the bad ones, like you're having right now, they'll fade away and you'll spend most of your time thinking about how much fun you had together, how much you loved them. Franklin eventually says, can I tell you a secret, Spider-Man? He says, of course you can. He says, I think I could have stopped Uncle Johnny from dying. And Pete says, well, I promise to keep it to myself. Can I tell you one? I know I could have stopped my uncle from dying. And, uh, And he explains what happened and how... What was more important than his uncle living was the lesson he learned from that day. And that, you know, great power, great responsibility, paraphrased, of course. And um, he says, it's what my uncle would have wanted from me, and it's what your uncle Johnny would want from you. Understand? Yeah. Good. And then he takes him home. And uh, it ends with Franklin saying to Spider-Man, hey, Spider-Man, what was your uncle's name? And uh, Pete says his name was Ben. And we see kind of a ghostly rendition of Ben Parker and Johnny Storm in the clouds as... The two of them swing home, and we get the title of the backup story, Uncles. And I think you can probably hear the tears in my eyes with how beautiful the story is. Uh, Jonathan Hickman just gets Peter Parker. That, it's perfect. And the Mark Brooks art is fantastic. I really, I really like Mark Brooks, but this was, this was just really well done. Um, And it's just, it's so fitting. I mean, Spider-Man has obvious ties to the Fantastic Four, always has in the comics. Um, But the fact that you know he he can relate to Franklin at such a, a base level with you know his uncle dying and it affecting him in a major way and with Franklin's uncle dying and it having this impact not just on him but you know on the rest of the Fantastic Four it was just really cool that you know they they paired them up I mean almost like a no brainer uh, but still just just really really well done I mean especially to me the the key scene in this in this story is when he says when Franklin says, well, I, th- I think I could have, you know, stopped him from dying. And then when, when Peter tells him, I know I could have stopped my uncle from dying. It's just like, man, you can just feel your heart being ripped out when, you know, when he says that. Weirdly, the only negative I have about the story, and this is so nitpicky, but I would have loved the symmetry if it had been Ben that had died and that they would have both lost their uncle oh, Ben's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that's, that's a complete non sequitur. It doesn't matter. It's just that symmetry would have been nice. But it's just such a beautiful story. So do we have anything else to say about these eight issues? It's the end of the Fantastic Four, and then it went from here to FF number one. Yeah. Yeah, so next time, or at least in part four of this series, we might do another episode of something else in between. You never know. Um, We will start up with FF number one, and we'll probably do the first eight issues of that. And then once you hit FF number 11, we jump back in with Fantastic Four 12, 
or Fantastic Four 600, rather, and then it kind of alternates. We're going to have to figure out exactly which issues to do in which order, um, but until the end of the Hickman run. So I'd say we're about at the halfway point with this one, if not a little bit further than that. Well, that's good. If we can get in 2014 to keep with the Fantastic 14 theme, that would be awesome. Hey, if we have to, there's always Fantastic 15. (laughs) I suppose. Fantastic 16 is a little bit more dicey, um, but (laughs) at least 15 has the app. No. I don't think so. I think we'll be able to to knock this off for sure. Maybe by that time, S.H.I.E.L.D. will be done, and we could follow it up with with, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) S.H.I.E.L.D. and Secret Warriors, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, from what I understand, it's going to be done this year, and so we we should get the conclusion to that, which ties in a lot with some of this stuff. Yeah. Just really good stuff. I mean, I I didn't read this as it. I read select issues here and there as it was coming out. I I, I definitely read the death issue when it came out, just you know, so we could discuss it. I remember we talked about it at the time. Um, I think it was the first hard copy of a Fantastic Four book I ever read. Oh wow! Or ever purchased, rather, I should say. Um, but I've got them all. I mean, Comicsology has I think two or three times now at this point has done sales on Hickman's FF run. Um, yeah, that's how I got them too. Is when they were on sale. Yeah, so I've I've been able to catch up that way, um, and and get them. But it's, I mean, Hickman is just like the man. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, he he's just one of those creators now that's firing on all cylinders. I mean, I think he's he's kind of like even though he's been in the business for a very long time, he's you know like to, for for me what for a while. You know what Claremont was, or what even even Bendis, or even like a Jeff Johns was for a long period of time uh, in Marvel and DC. And I think now it's just like Hickman, but not just his Marvel stuff, but his Image stuff. I think is just as solid as as his Marvel stuff. I mean, what he's doing with Avengers. I mean, we we did a whole you know series on Infinity. Um, we've talked about East of West. We've talked about Red Wing. We've talked about um, you know every every. Manhattan, Manhattan Project, yeah. Nightly News, Pax Romana. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, too. He's one of the, like, you know, you mentioned Bendis, or I think of, like, um, like Ed Brubaker, a guy who's been able to do work for the big two, but also do a lot of indie and creator-owned work as well and have a lot of success with it, you know. Um, I don't know. I, it's a cool to watch him be able to balance these, like, more... I don't want to say traditional, because this is one of my favorite FF runs of all time, and I've been reading FF since... I was a young geek and was just learning how to read, um, you know, up, up until now. But uh, the, the 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 fact he's able to, to juggle all these different kinds of projects for Image and, you know, more creator-owned uh, side and then also do the work that he does for Marvel um, is really cool. Is able to balance both, I think. It, we're almost kind of like in a... in the, I, I would say almost like another golden age because it, it's funny... You know, last time, when's the last time you talked about a really solid FF run, like like legendary Meet the Test of Time FF run or Amazing Spider-Man run or, I mean, even Avengers run. I mean, Bendis' Avengers stuff is, is fairly held up, but it, it's almost like, and maybe it's just because we're old farts, some of us, but it's like we, we always go back. To, I'm a young fart. Thing, well, right. I said some of us. Um, but like, you know, mainly Jim and I, like, we'll go back and say, oh, you know, the, you know, uh, Miller's Daredevil, and we're talking about Miller's Batman, or we'll talk about Claremont's X-Men. You know, those are like key runs, but I really think, you know, five or six or ten years from now, people are going to look back and be like, oh my God, Slot's run on Spider-Man is just like, 
it, it's 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 just going to be seen as as seminal. And I think I think Hickman with FF, and I think even Hickman with what he's doing with Avengers. I think people are going to look back and be like, that's worthy of holding up to Lee Kirby and Claremont and Miller and you know just some of the greats that we talk about from years past. You know, Simons and Thor. Oh, and, and Fraction's uh, Hawkeye right now. And the current run on uh, Daredevil, I know, is supposed to be fantastic. You know, there's a, so much great stuff right now. It's a good time to be a comic book yeah, nerd. Yeah, I just, I just, I mean, we've read good stuff in the past 10 or 15 years, I would say. But nothing, nothing really jumps out at me from a creator perspective where I say, oh, this is, like, definitive of title X. You know, this is what, you know, the closest maybe is, like, Jeff John's Green Lantern run. You know, I think people will look back on that and you know, years from now and, and really appreciate what he did. But it, it just seems like in the last few years, there's been more and more of these creators that are coming in and doing really cool stuff with titles that have been around for 50, 60, 70 years and, and be able to do something that, you know, people down the road are going to look back on as highly as we look back on some of that stuff that came in the seventies and the eighties. Um, and, and even somewhat in the, to the early nineties. Absolutely. I think this is that's it for this episode. You can leave us a voicemail at 972-798-3830. Let us know, what did you think of this run? What are some of the other runs that are coming right now that you think might stand the test of time like this one? Uh, send us an email, LOD at HHWLOD.com. Uh, check out all of our great shows at HHWLOD.com. Half Hour Wasted Out Now with Aaron and Abe, Jersey Shore. Uh, the new 24 podcast, the Jack and Chloe Adventure Cast, I believe it's called. Um, the Walking Dead TV podcast at WalkingDeadTV.com. There's just a ton of stuff out there on our site that I think you're absolutely going to um, love. Uh, you can check I'll, out. I was oh, going to shout ahead. out real quick. Um, our buddies Aaron and Abe over at Out Now just celebrated their 150th episode. Um, yeah, yeah, congratulations, congratulations to those guys. Uh, you know, you a lot of movie, just general favorite movie talk in that episode. Uh, so definitely check that out. Um, and iTunes reviews, iTunes reviews, iTunes reviews, iTunes reviews. I, I, I will shout it from the rooftops and sing it every, t- every chance I get. But uh, that really helps us out. It really helps us get it recognized um, out there. So um, please take a, take a minute and shoot over there and send us a review. I know Jordan, Jordan was just on the Amazing Spider-Man 2 episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Yeah, that was a lot and of fun. I just did a new commentary track for them of a, of a, a classic X Alint movie about some extraordinary <laughs> people. That's time to come out with another movie that has the letter X in it. Nice. So. I think if all goes divergent, if all goes well, I will be making a future, no pun intended, appearance on a particular excellent episode of Out Now. <laughs> now would that be future or past? <laughs> Take your pick, sir. <laughs> One of these days, you know. Well, they could have a better expert. <laughs> well, you can follow us on Twitter at LOD Tweet or at HHWLOD underscore network. And until next time, be that Fantastic uh, 14 or another LOD episode. Have a great week, everybody. So long. Every boy deserves a father, especially mine. Countries that you name or your child There's people always dying Trying to keep them alive There's bodies decomposing In containers tonight In an abandoned building where The squad has made a mural Of a Mexican girl 
15 cans of spray paint in a chemical swirl She's standing in the ashes at the end of the world Four winds blowing through her hair But when great Satan's gone The horror of Babylon well, She just can't sustain The pressure Sanskrit on the ivy of moons while shadows lengthen in the sun. Cast on a school of meditation built to soften the times and hold us at the center while the spiral unwinds. It's knocking over fences, crossing property lines, four winds cry until it comes. Tracing my steps All the way to Casadega To commune with the dead They said you'd better look alive And now I'm soft to hold the coat Or wear a genocide 